Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, editor of the Colorado Catholic Herald newspaper, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who is an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the general counsel and chief of staff for the Diocese of Colorado Springs. Before we get into our topic today, um, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in an ora mortis nostrae. Amen. So, um, uh, Deacon Doug, would you kind of uh, give us an outline of our topic for today and uh, where our discussion is going to take us? I'll do my best to try. Uh, I was born, we were looking for a a new possibility for a topic, and Deacon Patrick was kind enough to send you and I uh, links to two magazine or short articles uh, on the issue of uh, women in elite pro sports and uh, it was sort of a point-counterpoint where one author was arguing that um, for a number of reasons, women's elite professional athletes were not culturally necessary. And the basis of his argument was that men's team sports especially, uh, he felt were designed to uh, train men, young men for war, and there shouldn't be that same expectation on women. And then the other author uh, fired back saying that no, men and women both can benefit greatly by uh, competing even at an elite level and uh, quoted several verses from St. Paul on running the good race and, and some things like that in support of her argument that uh, women's professional elite sports were absolutely um, compatible with society and culture. And from there, our, we were, I think we were all surprised at just how deep down the rabbit hole you can go on something seemingly as Innocent as that. <laughs> is there anything innocent in society left anymore, Doug? <laughs> Sometimes, some days it doesn't seem that way. Makes it hard to cultivate eyes of innocence. <laughs> I'll I'll jump in uh, briefly, first of all, and say thank you to our resident lawyer for summarizing those. Uh, and... Um, I was amazed when we had our conversation on this uh, planning, our planning conversation on this topic. It was just a beautiful example of where uh, we had the three of us come together with, um, you know, where we started and an amazing uh, experience of dialogue um, and exchange of ideas and uh, I think we all ended up somewhere fuller, richer, uh, because of that experience. Uh, it was just a beautiful example of how, how can we help each other run toward Christ? And we do it by facing into the wave. Where's, where are the things that challenge us? Um, and, and how do we, how do we do that, uh, and that's what one of the things that we try to do in this podcast is turn into the wave. What are the topics of uh, contention in today's society? 
And uh, one of the headlines today as we're recording this is that the uh, Olympic level elite women uh, gymnast, uh, gymnasts are testifying before the Senate for um, the uh, sexual abuse uh, that occurred under a lot of people's watches um, and a lot of people didn't pay attention the way they should to defend uh, the innocence of women in sports. Um, and the same thing can happen for uh, young uh, young men in sports as well as young women in sports. Um, we need to defend innocence regardless of gender. Um, but I think one of the foundations we came up with was, uh, there are differences and this isn't commonly expressed in today's society, but men and women are different and not just physically different. Uh, we have different, um, roles because of our physical differences and the Catholic church describes this as complementarity. Uh, you, we don't get new human life without both men and women, a man and a woman. And, uh, you need both sides of the jigsaw puzzle, um, physically there, but there's so much more in terms of soul and the role of a mother versus the role of a father. Uh, and, um, then that expands outward into society. And so that's the reason that I sent this, uh, these two polarized articles, uh, and said, well, you know, what do we think of this? Cause there are some, there are some very good points, uh, in the, uh, in the one article saying, uh, you know, what is the role of women and is elite sports lifting women up in the way that they should be lifted up? And one of the conclusions that we came to is that, well, <laughs> no, modern elite sports are not lifting women up to where they should be lifted up because they conf they're they organized in such a way that it conflicts with uh, bearing new life into the world, a fundamental call for women who are married. Uh, and, and in today's society, Women are, uh, if they, um, are amorally entering into, um, relationships, uh, contraception that fails, uh, after once they're of childbearing age, uh, and they're competing in elite sports that puts them in a very challenging position of choosing to choosing life, choosing their team. Um, and so we started asking the question, what, what would women's elite sports look like if we restructured them to support women in their moral call, uh, to be women in society? And that's kind of where we, we, uh, had our aha moment and, and, and left it. Um, and, uh, then we've sat with it for about a week. So, uh, where, I guess maybe the question is, where are we now? Other thoughts to add things I missed? Well, I think, um, Deacon Patrick, I, the one, 
the one um, takeaway, I think, well, one of the several takeaways from our conversation was that um, it's it's a real problem when um, when and it, I guess it's mostly due to money. Um, women are are in a sense um, pressured to uh, stay stay in a certain physical condition that that kind of um, try you know try to stifle uh, their their natural growth process you know and so um, it, you you referenced the um, the uh, Olympic gymnasts that are testifying today and certainly is very heartbreaking um, to read about their experiences but um, you know we it, it just seems we, I think we all agree that it's it's wrong to deny uh, you know to to try to um, say that you know a woman who is a girl even who is 15 years old um, is supposed to look the same in you know five eight years or whatever just so that she can compete in more than one Olympic Games you know it, it's just kind of a um, deformed or warped, I think, view of, of the person. And, you know, so using hormones and things like that to try to control, um, the, the, the woman's, um, uh, development, you know, development. Yeah. It just, you know, I think we all agreed that that's not, we don't, we don't feel that that's at all in line with, you know, um, the church's teaching on, uh, the theology of the body or, uh, you know, the dignity of women that, um, it, you know, and so we, and, um, and we don't know, you know, we don't know what happens in individual cases, obviously, but, um, I, it, it, and it doesn't just apply to gymnastics. It seems to apply to, um, possibly some other sports as well. But I, you know, I, I think in general, we would say that, um, we, we certainly won't, don't want to keep women out of elite sports, but we also don't want them to be subject to that type of, um, manipulation, you know, for lack of a better word. I think it's an improperly large leap to go from uh, those the moral quandary of today's status in elite women's sports that that puts women in in uh, this conflict to then say, well, there's no societal role for women in elite sports, and uh one of the one of the very clear aspects of this is uh spiritual warfare and that was one of the articles the article countering uh this arguing that yeah of course we need women in elite sports points to saint paul um and how he speaks of uh, running the race all the way through and it, that requires perseverance and all the uh, virtues involved there. Um, and when you read through the saints, uh, the w- women saints uh, included, 
they describe spiritual warfare, which we are all engaged in, in every choice we make until the final judgment, uh, that we experience until our, until our death, when our free choices, uh, end. And, um, we're engaged in spiritual warfare. That's what spiritual warfare is. It's war for our souls and, uh, our free will to choose, uh, Christ over anything less and all things are less than Christ. Um, Patrick, one of the things I think we touched on last week was that one of the, not hallmarks, but one of the indicators sometimes that there is spiritual warfare going on is when people sort of fall into this false dichotomy saying, you know, you have to be one way or another. You have to have one position or, or, or another. And the author who was arguing against women's elite sports seemed to take the, I don't know if he said this explicitly or not, but the try to make the point that you can't be an elite woman athlete and be a mother, um, which uh, I think I pointed out, I think Serena Williams is a mom, but I had to go back and check on that. So she, she is indeed. And she did uh, indeed uh, the women in the, at least at the last U S open tennis tennis tournament made the same $2.5 million for winning the men did. So that was an interesting little tidbit that I didn't have at the tip of my tongue last last week but uh, i went a little further and looked into our most recent olympic team in tokyo and of the little more than 300 women who competed uh, 12 of them were moms and um, it was an overwhelming majority of track people there from sprinters to marathon runners but um don't, don't know if you want to draw too many conclusions from that but i just <laughs> well, st paul did say I, I run the race so <laughs> just saying <laughs> Yeah, no, that, thanks, Deacon Doug. That's great. I, I wasn't aware of that, but that's great information to know. I mean, um, and and one of the things that I had brought up in our discussion prior to the show was that um, I know that in the case of my own daughter, who um, was on the track team, you know, in both high school and college, was that I, I do feel that it helped her to develop some um, some virtues that you know will serve her well as she goes on in her life. She and it's true, you know, she's not um, running track anymore. She, um, in fact, her last season in college was you know completely shut down by the pandemic. But um, you know, just just the fact that she um, had to manage her time very well in order to be able to um, attend all the practices that she was required to attend in addition to completing her nursing studies and, um, you know, her other classes. And that, um, that, that's, that self-discipline, you know, can, can be learned in a variety of ways. It's not only sports, but um, I, I do think it was helpful that, um, you know, she had that accountability and also that she had um, teammates, you know, to, that c- could encourage and support each other um, in, that, in that struggle. And then, you know, and then there's the whole thing of the, um, to your point, Deacon Patrick, about spiritual warfare, you know, learning to um, learning to accept physical discomfort and 
fatigue and, you know, all the things that kind of go along with um, competing at the college level in a sport. Um, I, I think that, uh, again, those, those are not things that she's, that are just going to go away, even though she's no longer running. And, um, I mean, uh, so, so yeah, I guess I was really, um, I, I, w- I was really, um, uh, I don't know. It, it honestly, it threw, it threw me off guard when I, when I read that, that first article, because again, to, to, to say that there wasn't a value in women's sports, um, to me, I, I, I felt like that wasn't necessarily in line with what I had experienced in my own life. I, I thought he brought up a lot of excellent points of problems in the current, um, system of women's elite sports, and then went to a conclusion that didn't necessarily follow and that if we peel back what the structure of women's sports should look different than for men's sports because women uh, bear new life into the world and that's one of the amazing gifts that is that that does affect their um, body and their physical capacity uh, and then, and then they can train and, and get back into, uh, their sport if they choose to, or they can step out. What would be involved in shifting how women's elite sports are done structurally so that, okay, a, a team that's normally, a for men's sports, a team of, a, uh, 11 on the field and say a limit of 20, uh, on the bench total, uh, maybe that needs to be, um, higher number of women available on the bench so that they can rotate in and out more. Um, and ironically, we're seeing men's sports do that as well, uh, as they're finding, okay, we have this, we're trying to navigate all the COVID challenges. And that means some of us need to step back more often for longer. Uh, so they're expanding the size of the available team in order to accommodate that. That seems like a very simple way to address a whole lot of the issues um, so that no one is letting down the team and it's celebrating family, it's celebrating life, and it's celebrating both men and women. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Deacon Patrick. I mean, um, the... And, you know, I don't, I don't know if it necessarily comes into play so much on the college level, but um, certainly uh, when you talk again about professional sports and, and um, maybe to a certain degree, the Olympics, um, you can ask the question, I think, is it reasonable to put that much pressure on anybody, you know, um, a man or a woman that somehow they're going to guarantee that they're going to be in peak physical condition, um, for, for, for years at a time, you know, it, it almost, it almost seems a little bit, um, inhuman. And, um, so, so yeah, the, the idea of, you know, having more alternates so that if a woman, if a married woman was 
competing and, you know, had needed to step away for a bit while she um, had a baby or something like that, that it, it wouldn't be considered um, like a betrayal, <laughs> you know, that someone, someone else could step in and, and um, y- you know, alternate in that way that that would seem to be logical, you know, and, and, and certainly again, I, I, not to sound like a broken record. I mean, I, I think, um, it, it is unfair to, um, fight, you know, try to financially penalize women who would like to be mothers, um, and be, and be athletes. I mean, that, and I don't know, I don't know how you on a practical level go about, um, fighting that, but it, you know, it seems like, uh, if, if women athletes could somehow band together and, and in a sense protest, you know, that again, it seems to come down to a type of, you know, manipulation, um, that, that could be very good for, for women in sports overall. And, and so where we ended up is we, we were asking the question, can elite sports help women be women as it does at its best men to be men? And as Doug pointed out, well, it does help women to be women in, in lots of sports already um, where tennis has restructured itself to, to be, uh, to be a whole lot more uh, equal and yet different in supporting whatever the women's needs are in order to compete in it and have families. Um, and aids society because we have stronger women who are trained in the virtues required for sports and trained in wielding those virtues against temptations so that they they know how to uh, choose Christ above all other lesser options. And uh, as a society, we need that, <laughs> both in our men and our women. Um, and so one of the things I think it's worth pointing out also here um, is, again, in I think it was either the last day or two's news. Uh, the defense bill now includes uh, language that it will be citizens open to the draft, um, not men open to the draft uh, into the military. Um, to talk about women's elite sports is also to talk about women in professional careers uh, and the role of women uh, in society in general, and then women as normal soldiers. I think we all agree that, uh, mama bear is a vicious opponent. (laughs) If you're, if you're dumb enough to go after the Cubs or she thinks you're going after the Cubs, you're in for a world of hurt. Women are warriors in defending their young. (laughs) That's a given. That isn't a question. What's at question is, should they be normal soldiers, uh, in defending society. Uh, and that's a whole nother set of questions and to have it answered, uh, societally in a bill that's, 
I've got a lot of problems with that. And on that particular issue, I, I will side a lot more with uh, the uh, the author who says, no, that, that does not have a role in society except as a last resort. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, um, I don't have direct experience myself um, with the military, but based on some of the articles I've read, I mean, um, the the conditions faced by um, soldiers, you know, particularly when they're in like combat situations or in um, parts of the world where um, there's there's the at least the threat of hostility um there's 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 really no way to um preserve a, you know um a woman's modesty and dignity in in those in, in the in the way it's it's structured you know so i think i guess well that's a the, huge the, leap veronica do those need defending well, I, I mean, you know, again, it goes back to, I think, um, you know, the theology of the body and, and what the church teaches. I mean, um, but, but, you know, unlike, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I suppose it may look like um, I'm being a little bit hypocritical or something, but, um, you know, unlike in sports where, where it seems like you you know, you do have that separation. There's women's teams and men's teams. Um, it, it, in the, in the barracks, so to speak, it, it, it doesn't seem like that, um, those types of conditions exist. And so, um, it's a vastly different thing to defend the tabernacle of, um, the cradle of life that is within every woman when you're talking elite sports, that's easily defensible and defendable. It's not easily defendable on the battlefield. I think there's a vast difference. Right. And, and then you, um, it, you know, it, it just seems like, um, you, it, it ends up creating a situation where you're either, um, you're either, sacrificing, uh, the safety and the dignity of, of the woman soldiers, or, you know, possibly sacrificing the, um, the security of the whole, whole operation, you know, um, it, it, and it just seems like there's so many, um, pitfalls with that, you know, I mean, and this is just one example I'll throw out there, um, totally theoretical or hypothetical, I should say, but, you know, uh, romantic relationships between the soldiers and that kind of thing, you know, it's, um, uh, it, it just seems like the, it's, it, it could cause all sorts of issues in terms of, you know, the chain of command and that kind of thing. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, even re regardless, regardless of um, whether you're looking at it from the standpoint of the church's teaching, or or even just you know on kind of more of a, a human level, it would seem to me that 
you you would question the wisdom of that. It, and it seems like it's being done fr- from a purely ideological motive from from what I can tell to try to push women into combat. Well, I'd be remiss here if I didn't uh, point out that, yeah, I think there are some real challenges, especially if you're deployed on the front lines and you're in one of the combat units. Um, I, I do have to say that in the Air Force, when we deployed, we always had separate hotel rooms. So we, uh, th- those whole problems of, uh, of um, command and control and um, ro- romantic relationships, I think they've probably been around for as long as we've had armies. But, um, yeah, well, that's that's true. I guess it all it, there's there's a wide variety of situations, and, and you know, and that can play out. But um, but yeah, I, I you know, I mean, the uh, the the um, kind of benign view, you know, the, the kind of private Benjamin type um, movies and things that you see, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that reality would be a lot harsher <laughs> um, for in that case. And, and, um, but, you know, again, I, I e- even so I, 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 I can't help but think that, um, this is part of like kind of a larger, larger um, ideological push to blur, you know, to blur the lines between men and women, and you know, the whole transgender movement and that kind of thing. I, it, it just seems a little bit too coincidental, you know, that this is coming up now. Well, that's all the time we have now. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've said transgender, uh, no, I wanted to make one more. Uh, point because the the uh the whole question around uh women in professional careers um long-term careers um the the reality is that uh in general women it's the same issue as with elite sports a if you have a uh a, a team of lawyers, since we're talking with our lawyer, um, or, or any other career level doctors, uh, whatever profession it is, um, there, there should be some f- way of being able to rotate teams in and out. Um, so you may need a bigger bench, uh, and, and rotate them, uh, in and out as needed based on family needs that that just makes sense and if we're a society that says okay we used to value the family by saying women stay home and men uh provide going to the workplace the problem we're reaching is we're we're not saying we support family we're saying as a society we support women and being able to do whatever men do. Well, one, that's nonsensical because men can't do what women can do in various situations and women can't do what men can do in various situations. It's not physically possible. Um, But the question that we should be asking is, how do we support life 
and value life and family and marriage as a society, what does that look like if we have a workforce that is 50% women, 50% men um, in various professions? Do we need a bigger bench and how do we rotate that and what do we value and how do we uphold family so that we are valuing family? Um, these are questions that as Catholics, I think we should be asking and uh, as Catholic, uh, business owners out there should be asking, exploring and boldly asking, uh, what does it look like? How do we do it? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a complicated topic because, um, you, you, you do get into issues of, um, you know, it's, I, I, I think, you know, for smaller corporations or companies, um, is it, is it financially feasible for them, you know, to, to have, um, women on extended maternity leaves and that kind of thing. But, um, I mean, I can just say from my own, you know, personal experience, um, what, what a blessing it was, uh, when I had my youngest child, um, that I, you know, I was able, and I was working, um, here at the Herald newspaper. Um, you know, I, I was able to work from home, uh, for the first six months after he was born. And, and, um, you know, that made a tremendous, tremendous difference, um, for me. And, uh, you know, so, um, th th like j just the fact that, um, you know, my supervisor at the time was, was willing to work with me on that and explore different options. You know, it was a great blessing. So, um, it, I think it's, it's probably not an issue where you can apply one solution across the board, uh, depending on, you know, the industry that you're talking about. But, um, you know, I do think, I do think that, um, I, I will say that, you know, co companies, in the long run, I think will will retain better employees if they do um, make provision for for women to um, to have to have children and you know continue their careers. I again, I know it gets controversial because there's a lot of financial considerations, but um, I, I in I, I do think it in the long run it's a win win. And I think as Catholics, we need to look at it with. Society right now is saying, well, men and women are equal, which means we're the same. And no, that's not at all true. Um, what does complementarity in the workplace look like? And how do we um, how do we ask these questions with fresh eyes instead of political uh, or ideological answers so that we're supporting life, marriage, family? Um, and uh, I'll... I'll I'm imagining we're near the end of time here, so I'll, I'll let you take it from there, Veronica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've actually gone a little bit long, um, this time. So, uh, we should probably go ahead and, uh, uh, move on to our, our closing prayer. Deacon Doug, would you mind leading us in that? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, donus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tu Jesus. 
Sancta Maria Mater Dei Ora Penobis Pegatoribus Nunc Idanor Mortis Nostre. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.